say their names. Ferhat Unva, Mercedes Kirpac, Sedat Göbüs, Gökhan Gültigin, Hamza Kotovic, Carlo Jan Velkov, Willi Viorel Paun, Said Nessar Hashemi, Fatih Sarajoglu. You are now listening to Smith's Kushti podcast, bringing you current news and views from Germany and across Europe. You can now listen to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We give freedom for security, and that shouldn't be our goal. It's believed that there has been a decades-long series of right-wing and racist attacks and assaults on migrants across Germany. Over the next few days, events are taking place to mark February 19th, the first anniversary of the Hanau shootings. People are beaten on the street, women get their hijabs ripped off their heads, people are murdered because they speak a different language. We had two cases like that here in Neukölln. In Berlin-Neukölln, we have had far-right terror for 11 years. People are being attacked because they campaign for or get involved in activism, because they look a certain way or seem to belong to a certain group. Welcome, Lacho Divas, or as we British Romani travelers would say, Kushti Divas. You're listening to Smith's Kushti Podcast, and I'm your host, Lisa Smith. In this series, we connect Romani history, politics, and identity with current news and issues. I'm recording this episode from my apartment in Nukoi, in a district in northern Berlin. The temperature is absolutely freezing and the canals are all frozen over. I took a walk on the ice over the weekend and it was so lovely to see friends and families ice skating and sledging, just trying to make the most of whatever they can during times of corona. But normally Newcoin is famed for its authentic falafel, hipster bars and cute coffee shops. It feels like a welcoming and diverse district. But beneath the surface, I've been surprised to find a darker undercurrent of organised right-wing extremism. Since the early 1990s, attacks have been taking place here with irregularity, I've been told. And the current suspected group of neo-Nazi perpetrators is believed to have been active for a decade. In September 2020, the media reported that here in Newcoin, police were investigating 72 major crimes, including a serial assault, arson and possible murder connected to the group. I want to get a better sense of what's going on here, so I've decided to speak to a Kurdish-German local politician who's been on the receiving end of right-wing attacks to find out more about the local situation. Yeah, hi. Also, äh, ich bin der Neuköllner Ferhat Ali Kotschak und Hi. Ähm, I am the Neuköllner Ferhat Ali Kotschak. I am active in different anti-fascist, anti-racist initiatives um, and I am socialized in the Turkish and Kurdish community in Berlin. Since my childhood, I've always been active against racism, especially racism in mainstream society. Since the growth of right-wing extremism in Berlin, my focus has shifted. I'm still convinced that racism in mainstream society is strengthening the extreme right. But right now my focus lies in making sure that right-wing extremists and Nazis don't gain more political traction, that they can carry their propaganda out on the street, and that they are not able to implement their far-right terror. For this, we need opposing forces in the streets, in the form of initiatives and movements, but also on a parliamentary level. I myself was attacked by Nazis in 2018 when me and my family survived an arson attack. 
During the night, they set my car, which was parked directly next to our house, on fire. The fire spread to our house, and if I hadn't woken up, we would have been burned as well. According to the fire brigade, it was a matter of a few minutes until the whole house would have burned down. What is special about my case is that the two main suspects were being monitored by security agencies. In Berlin-Neukölln, we have had far-right terror for 11 years. People are being attacked because they campaign for or get involved in activism, because they look a certain way or seem to belong to a certain group. Even though we know about the suspected perpetrators, the clear-up rate for the last 11 years is 0%, which is why the two main suspects were being monitored. In my case, the police knew that Nazis had been spying on me for over a year and two weeks before the attack the perpetrators found out where I lived because they followed me home after an event. I was neither warned nor did the police contact the perpetrators which could have given me some degree of security. This means that my family and I could have died with the knowledge of the authorities. There are more than two suspects of Nazi terror in Neukölln, but the two main suspects in my case are, on the one hand, a right-wing extremists, ex-member of the NPD, a far-right-wing party, and on the other hand, an ex-board member of the AfD, also a far-right-wing party, that is now part of the German Bundestag and every federal parliament in Germany. Days after the attack, my mother had a heart attack because she couldn't cope with it. We live in fear and try to shape our lives around that fear, but nothing will be like before. We frequently have police protection. But the problem is that there have been many scandals due to connections between security agencies and the Nazi scene here in Neukölln. Even a state prosecutor had to be withdrawn due to bias because he told one of the main suspects not to worry and that he was on their side. My fear is even greater when I consider, besides knowing that something like that could happen again, that security agencies are involved with the far-right scene. Not a day goes by that I don't make sure how to get safely from A to B, that I don't check whether somebody is following me, and that has been weighing on me for the past three years. It has also forced me to switch jobs a couple of times because I couldn't sleep at night and couldn't be productive during the day. I have definitely noticed a growth in far-right extremism and fascism in the last years in Neukölln and Germany. It especially implemented itself in the public, on the streets. People are being harassed on the streets because they look like a Muslim or like they're from a different country. These fascists think that their community is worth more than other communities and they forget that we have one big community here in Neukölln. People are beaten on the street, women get their hijabs ripped off their heads, people are murdered because they speak a different language. We had two cases like that here in Neukölln. There are posters that spread hatred against these people in the form of guerrilla marketing saying something like migrants kill or foreigners out. In addition, there are stickers and swastikas on shops of people with a history of migration, which is especially extreme in Germany because it is already a part of German history. During the time of National Socialist Fascism, shops of Jewish people were marked, bringing fascism to the streets. Apart from the fascism in the streets, we can also see a development in the parliaments. They complement each other. We had many right-wing terror attacks before, for example in Mölln, Solingen, Rostock and Fichtenhagen. Now it increases even more as there is support on the parliamentary level. The racism and misanthropy are produced at the top and implemented by people on the streets who use weapons to fight for their beliefs. The terrible thing is that these thoughts and patterns support each other 
up to the authorities. They exist within the authorities. When civil servant workers share these conservative racist thought patterns, we have a problem as a society as a whole. I believe that the society of the many is supported by a big part of the dominant society. The problem is that we are experiencing an offensive towards the lifestyle of the society of the many with the growth of right-wing extremism. This is what I can see in Neukölln. It started with attacks on individuals that they wanted to scare. Meanwhile, it turned into attacks on the whole society of northern Neukölln, where we have a really diverse culture. People from all over the world that just arrived in Germany, but also people who live here in the second or third generation and who are an important part of this society. This is characteristic for the culture in Neukölln. This society is right now being attacked by the far right, but also by the authorities. With shisha bar raids under the pretext of crime prevention, they act extremely racistly. Another example is that a residential complex where Romani people live was forced to stay in quarantine now during the pandemic when only a few of them tested positive. This is extremely racist and allows these thought patterns to grow on fertile soil. There is not only one problem, but many crucial problems with racial profiling. Racial profiling is a problem of the society as a whole, and it's particularly bad in the institution of the police because of the constellation of power. I don't want to talk it down by putting it into the context of a society as a whole, but it plays a crucial role in it as well. An old white lady would rather be scared of someone with darker features following her on the streets than of a person who is presumably part of the dominant society. Another example is that the security in a shop would rather keep an eye on someone with a presumed migrant background than on people that are part of the dominant society. That's why it is very important to talk about the issue when it comes to the police. They have a massive power potential that can be misused. This is something that they already do, in my opinion. That's why it's important to look for a way to prohibit racial profiling. To say that there is no racial profiling because racism itself is forbidden, like Minister of the Interior Seehofer did, is not the answer. We have to find the origin of it. Is it the textbooks? Is it the lessons taught in police school? Apart from thinking about how to reform the structures of the police and how their duties are assigned, racial profiling is one of the major tasks we need to figure out so that a society of the many is possible. I wish for more strong movements on the street after the racist attack like the one in Hanau, but also after the anti-Semitic attack in Halle. In Germany, we more and more realize how these fights need to work together as a unit. Especially after the murder of George Floyd, which resulted in a consciousness that we have similar cases in Germany as well. We also have police murderings here in Germany, for example the killing of Uri Jallo in Dessau and many more. This is why I think it is important to try to support the fights from the base. How can we make sure that different communities work together as a unit? I think it's important to realize that despite disparities in other political aspects, the fight against racism has to be at the top. Otherwise, we won't survive it. We have to understand that we are sitting in the same boat, that we need to fight together, that this is a fight for survival, and because of that, it has to be a priority. You are now listening to Smith's Kushti podcast, bringing you current news and views from Germany and across Europe. 
You can now listen to our podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify and Google Podcasts. It's believed that there has been a decades-long series of right-wing and racist attacks and assaults on migrants across Germany. Over the next few days, events are taking place to mark February 19th, the first anniversary of the Hanau shootings that Ferret mentioned, where nine people, all of a migration background, were murdered by a far-right extremist who targeted two shisha bars in Hanau, near the city of Frankfurt. Three of the victims had a Romani background. Many people, though, believe that there are still too many unanswered questions around the circumstances and context in which the murders occurred, around the actions of the police during, after and before the night of the crime. Questions being asked are, why did the perpetrator receive multiple gun licences, even though he was already known to the police? And why did the emergency exit in the shisha bars have to be closed in advance due to police instructions? And disturbingly this month, the Public Prosecutor's Office in Hanau filed charges against the father of the Hanau attacker. He had been found to be racially insulting people at a related commemoration event. And meanwhile, the federal government revealed that more than 1,200 suspected or actual right-wing extremists currently own a gun licence, and it's believed that this number has risen sharply. I caught up with Amaro Sinan Kudzek, a 22-year-old living in Hanau. He's involved in an education initiative to combat racism. It's supported by friends and was founded by the mother of Ferat Unger, one of the victims, who was just 22. I came in contact with the initiative through the mother from uh, Ferhat Unger, one of the victims. And, yeah, she uh, contacted us uh, and asked if we would like to help her grow and begin the education initiative. We want to educate people and uh, sensitize them about uh, racism. Uh, yeah, our goal is our goal is yeah education and is our primary goal. We will uh, we have workshops for schools. We want to start at schools, and uh, we are also a station for people that uh, had experience with uh, racism. So they can talk with us. We try to help them. We try to uh, give advice on what they could do, what they shouldn't do and how to get along with this problem. It's uh, growing fast uh, all around the world. It's not only a German problem. Yes, so, uh, but we want to start in our little um, hometown. We try our best to grow bigger and help the state, the state in which we are living, and maybe one time the whole country. Oh, so when I think back, it it was it happened so fast that after a few weeks, I totally realized what what happened, what happened. And when I look forward, the one year anniversary is tomorrow, and all the feelings, the all the emotions coming back. Yes, but we try to. 
get these emotions and feelings in a productive way mm-hmm. so we can help the younglings and everyone else what we see from the police uh, they are only driving uh, more cars and uh, they're patrolling more but that won't stop the problem mm. we give freedom for security and that shouldn't be our goal Germany's police and military have faced a slurry of scandals in recent years in September 2020 29 German police officers were suspended for sharing images such as a SWAT sticker a depiction of a refugee in a gas chamber, picture of Hitler, and an image betraying a black person being shot. 126 images were shared altogether in five WhatsApp groups, by chat groups that were exclusively or predominantly used by police officers. There have also been neo-Nazi death threats against public figures, including left-wing politicians and lawyers that were later linked to police computers. As Farid Kojak mentioned, the interior minister who oversees the country's police and security agencies has repeatedly refused to admit that there's a problem with structural racism. In July, as protests erupted across the US and Europe over the killing of George Floyd, German authorities were accused of failing to tackle the problem head on, and questions were raised about their ability to investigate themselves. In the same month, the planned study of racial profiling by the police was cancelled, with the ministry explaining that it was not necessary because racial profiling is against the rules, and instead they proposed a study to explore violence directed at the police. In more recent news on February the 6th, it's believed that an 11-year-old Sinti child was racially profiled in the town of Singen in southwestern Germany. The child was handcuffed and taken to the police station. Prosecutors are now investigating after the family filed a complaint. We caught up with the family's lawyer, Mehmet Di Magula, to find out more about the case. I'm giving my opinion uh, based on the information I've got from the child and from the family. And um, so it's it's uh, one the one side of the story, right? But I do not have any doubt uh, that um, the things um, the child told me um, uh, are true. So first of all, I still do not know because the police hasn't contacted me or the family uh, yet. I still do not know why this child was um, a subject uh, to um, interrogation at all. So why uh, do they have uh, checked his name and his, uh, his papers and uh, everything? Why? Uh, according to our law, um, you can't just uh, stop and frisk somebody. You need to have a, a reason. So, and still, until I, until I haven't learned any reason uh, for the boy, this boy to be um, uh, subject uh, to this peace approach, I think uh, the whole action was um, just uh, illegal from, from the very beginning. So, secondly, uh, the fact that they don't have immediately informed the parents about uh, their kids being uh, interrogated or whatever they've done it, it's illegal. 
the boy told uh, police officers that uh, his mother is only a few steps away visiting the grandmother. The boy, uh, the boy's mobile phone ringed several times because the mother tried to reach him and to call him for, for supper. And the police wouldn't allow him to pick up the phone, which is illegal. And then uh, they found a little knife, which is not very unusual for a boy that age. And uh, they found it after the boy was handcuffed. So once uh, this uh, knife was gone, why? which reason did they have at all after this point to put the Spain boy in handcuffs? And again, why hasn't the mother been informed? Also, the boy um, reported that once the police uh, learned his last name, um, they said a sentence like, ah, you're one of those uh, gypsy, uh, gypsies, uh, gypsy family. Mm -hmm. We know you guys. So, and then bringing the boy uh, to a police station again, uh, why? Why was that necessary? And then what happened on the police station? Why did you just release the boy? Yeah, it started to get dark uh, and just send him home. Why uh, haven't any information given to the mother, even though the mother called several times? Uh, the boy was in police custody. So I think the police um, behavior was um, wrong and ill on many, many, many levels. Yes, I do believe that there's a link between uh, him identified being a Sinto and police uh, misconduct. I have uh, currently three cases of police brutality uh, against uh, Sinti and Roma. And all uh, cases are uh, happened within the last nine months and they're all located in the state of Baden-Württemberg. And two of the cases are uh, located in the city of Singen. So, um, in my opinion, this is a, a very yeah, shocking number because um, most uh, people, uh, most Sinti and Roma people, uh, they do not report uh, this um, if, uh, events. They do not uh, seek legal help, in part because uh, most of them are simply too poor uh, mm. to afford a lawyer. And also, uh, these people have often made uh, very bad experiences mm -hmm. with police. They do, they, they do not uh, trust uh, for good reasons. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, police author authorities and this is why I uh, think uh, we, have, we, have, we are having a, a huge number of uh, of cases uh, which are just not documented The case is curious not only because children under the age of 14 have the right to have parents or guardians present during questioning and are not deemed old enough to be held criminally responsible under the eyes of the law. And secondly, because the possession of a folding knife is not illegal in Germany. What's more, the Interior Ministry of Baden-Württemberg's confirmed that on February 6th, an event took place in Singen in which a boy had hand restraints placed on him and had to be brought into the police station. 
Then on Wednesday, the police issued a statement denying knowledge of the event. The Interior Ministry then followed up saying that it's a new understanding that the escorting of the child by the police had been successful, so there was no restraining involved. But by Thursday, police had admitted to having brought the boy in and that he had indeed been restrained and placed in handcuffs. I want to say a big thank you to all our guests who joined us today. It's clear that despite the losses and pain, that here in Germany, where there is violence, oppression and exclusion, there is strong solidarity, love and resistance. We are the Sinti and Roma. We have lived in Europe for over a thousand years, but we've been persecuted since the Middle Ages. During the Nazi era, we were systematically murdered. Over half a million of us died in concentration camps, starved to death in ghettos, or were shot on the spot. This is our memorial, and since 2012, it has been a reminder of this terrible time. But now, our memorial is under threat and may be destroyed by the construction of a city train line. We will not let that happen. Support us. Sign the petition of Sinti Roma Pride, the memorial stays, and please share this appeal. You can help save our memorial by signing the petition of Sinti Roma Pride. The link to the petition can be found in the description. Don't forget, if you have any questions for me or about the project, we would love to hear from you. Get in touch on Insta and follow us at Smith's Kushti Podcast or at Roma Trial to stay up to date. <laughs>